All right, Mark chapter 5. Uh, I am learning that uh, my uh, text message that I sent out yesterday, did, I don't think anyone uh, received. I was hoping to send it out and, uh, so that um, you could uh, read this uh, lengthy passage ahead of time and have some idea of, uh, of uh, how it uh, goes if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, but um, we're going to look at uh, three different, well, two people, three situations uh, in, uh, in, in this passage, beginning in verse uh, 21. And uh, as we uh, look at that, I, I want to get you to think about something for just a minute as we, as we head into this passage. If, if I was to go around this room today and I was to ask you, uh, what is the best way to get to Myrtle Beach? For example, if I was to ask you, what is the best way to get to Myrtle Beach? Uh, if I were to ask five people that question, how many different answers do you think I would get? Seven. Yeah. Uh, everybody would have some little different tweak uh, in how they get there. You know, um, you know, I, I would, you know, I don't know. I've, you know, I've got a couple little what I think are shortcuts that uh, I take. Um, you know, uh, that um, you know, Archie's shortcut. Archie's. If you ask Archie, it involves as soon as you get out of Cabarrus County, stop and eat. Um, as soon as you get to Albemarle, stop and eat. Uh, as soon as you get to Wadesburg, stop and eat. Uh, as soon as you get to Sherrall, stop and eat. Um, before you leave Sherrall, stop and eat again. Uh, you know, and uh, that, that, you know, Archie goes to the beach. You ever, you ever seen Tarzan swinging through the trees when he swings from tree to tree? When Archie goes to the beach, if y'all don't believe me, ask him. I mean, he's got it laid out. When Archie goes to the beach, he swings from restaurant to restaurant like Tarzan swinging through the trees in the jungle. That's his path. Uh, to the beach. If one of those restaurants ever closed down, Archie will never be able to find another beach again. Uh, there's all kinds of obvious, you know, we, for that matter, I could ask around this room what's the best way to, uh, you know, to get to concrete supply down here at the bottom of the hill, and I'd probably get two or three different answers. Uh, you know, we, we have some different ways. Uh, and we, there's some different uh, ways that we approach God. And there, three of them are shown to us in this passage, and none of them um, are, are wrong. Now, I don't want to. Uh, I want to be careful and say that none of them are wrong. Uh, but in different circumstances, uh, we approach God differently, and we see some people in this in this passage uh, who are having some uh, some issues in their life, who are having some problems, and they go to Christ, and they go. Uh, with different, uh, different, uh, different modes, different ways, different avenues they approach Christ. One of them, uh, a man by the name of Jairus, we're going to see, uh, he approaches Christ one time, uh, and then in a matter of just a few moments, circumstances change, and he approaches Christ in a different manner. And so it's interesting to see that. And also one of the things that strikes me is that in none of these situations, that even though they approach Christ differently, at no point does Christ say to them, go away. 
did wrong. They came from their circumstance, uh, their situation, and approached Christ, and he dealt with the situation uh, as they uh, presented it to him. The first person we read about, again, is this man uh, named Jared. Uh, and we uh, we see him. Uh, he is a ruler of the synagogue, and what that means is he was um, he was not a priest, but he was um, he was a logistics manager uh, in the synagogue. He was uh, the air controller. Uh, he kept things going where they were supposed to be. He was uh, he, he was Tommy Cooper. Uh, he knew where the napkins were stored. He knew where, you know, he, he you know, he kept, uh, you know, all, all the things working. You know, he knew where all the light switches was. Uh, he knew where, you know, everything was kept. He lined up the speakers. He made sure everything was clean in order. That was his job. It was a, you know, you may think, well, that's a dirty job. No, that was a very important job. Uh, again, the passage says he was a ruler of the synagogue. That, that, that was a very uh, important, respected job uh, that uh, that this man had. And so keep that in mind. This man uh, is a very influential person uh, in the Jewish church, in Judaism. He is a very important man. Now, with that in mind, remember this. Uh, and, and all of this is background for what's going to transpire here. Uh, remember, uh, you do remember who ultimately ended up crucifying Christ, right? Who was behind the move to crucify Christ. The leaders, the, pri the priests, the people from the synagogue, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests. And this man is a ruler among them. And he comes uh, to Christ with the request. What in the world uh, would make a man in that position, an influential man in the synagogue, go to a man uh, who already, as we've seen just in four and a half chapters here uh, of the Gospel of Mark, has already angered uh, the Jewish power structure. Uh, they're already plotting against him. We've already read that several times here uh, in, in the first four chapters of Mark that uh, that they are uh, that he's already got on the bad side uh, of the Jewish uh, way it's always been. But he comes, uh, here comes Jairus to, uh, to Jesus to ask a favor. What in the world would make a man do that and come against that? Well, it's really simple and something that most everyone in this room can identify with. His 12-year-old daughter was about to die. She was very sick. And when that happens, all bets are off. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Now he doesn't care about what the rest of the priests think. He doesn't care about what the Jewish line is. He doesn't care about Jewish politics. He doesn't care what's going to be thought of him. He doesn't care who it offends, who gets mad at him. He doesn't care if he loses that nice, comfortable, influential job. His baby is sick. Can anybody in here identify with Jairus? It's all it takes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine some of you here this morning, you're at work, 
And you get a phone call, your baby uh, is sick and they take them to the hospital and you go to your boss and say, hey, I need to leave. They've taken my daughter and my son. They've taken them to the hospital, to the emergency room. I'm not sure what's wrong, but I've got to go. And your boss looks and says, you can't go. You don't get off at 5 o'clock. Yeah, right. Now, especially the mamas, they're probably moving before they leave. Yeah, but you didn't know how that well that would work. Jared's got that way. He didn't care. And so the first thing I notice about this man, about this situation, is he approaches God uh, in desperation. He approaches him in desperation. When he was desperate for an answer, he was in dire problem. He didn't know what to do. His 12-year-old daughter, and obviously, we, to, to jump ahead, we know she is direly, desperately sick because before this whole conversation can take uh, come to its conclusion, his servants come to him and say, never mind, she's dead. So this is how bad the situation was. This man is desperate uh, to, to get uh, to God. Christ has cast out demons. He's come back now to the other side uh, of Galilee. And the first person he sees is this father. This father who has, uh, you know, you, you, can, you, you can almost be sure, uh, while the Bible doesn't say it, that by now this man has, uh, you know, he, he's tried everything the doctors have said. He's tried every uh, old wives' tale. You know, he's rubbed her down in kerosene. You know, he's put potatoes in her socks. Uh, you know, all those old, you know, he's tried everything. And she's not getting any better. And so this man does what would be, in most circumstances, unthinkable. He is so desperate, he puts aside his pride, he puts, he puts aside his future, he puts aside his, all of his friendships, he puts aside his job, he puts everything, and it doesn't matter, because he's desperate. He's desperate. He is in desperate situation. I will do whatever it takes. I don't care what my friends say about me going to this Jesus guy. I've heard he's casting out demons. I've heard he's raising the dead. I've heard he's calmed storms. I've heard he's gave back the blind their sight, the deaf their hearing, the mute their speech. I don't have the cripple to walk. I don't care what anybody else has to say. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you ever got that desperate over a circumstance? Have you ever gotten that desperate over the lostness of your loved ones? Have you ever got that desperate over the, your, your family and friends that don't know Christ, that you say, I don't know what it will take. I don't care who gets unhappy. I don't care who likes it. But I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm desperate. 
Some of you here this morning would perhaps say that. That's how you come to know Christ personally. That's how you got saved to begin with. You come to a point in your life where you said, I don't know, you know, all my friends, they're not going to understand this. They're not, you know, I'm probably going to lose some friends, maybe some family, but I don't care anymore. I can't live with this burden of sin on me. I can't live with this weight anymore. Maybe that's you right now. Jesus in desperation. He determined that whatever it took, I'll give up that cushy little job at the synagogue. I'll do whatever it takes to find Jesus. I'll go wherever I have to go. Say whatever I have to say. Pay whatever I have to pay. But I am determined to get to Jesus. We got that desperate yet? I'm not sure the church of Jesus Christ in 2023 has gotten real desperate. Oh, I think the situation around us has gotten desperate. I'm just not sure we have. I'm not sure how desperate we are to pursue Jesus, to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter where we have to go. We stand up all the time and we sing that old song, wherever He leads, I'll go. I just keep waiting one Sunday. The church is going to be singing, wherever He leads, I'll go. And God's going to pull back the clouds and go, liar! I asked you this week to walk next door and invite your neighbor to speak to your neighbor. Tell them about Jesus and you wouldn't go. You mean wherever. Are we desperate? We got desperate to follow Jesus. This man is desperate. What's it going to take? It took this man's 12-year-old daughter getting sick and being at the point of death. And he got desperate enough that he said, I'll leave it all behind. There has to be four things involved in being that desperate. One is, again, uh, the people were already violently opposed to Jesus. And they, they were already public. You know, they weren't, the, the people, had, the, the Jews had already got, they weren't behind closed doors whispering, we got to do something. They were openly confronting him. The, the, the opposition to Christ was open and bold. And this man had to be willing to go against it. He had to be willing. Uh, again, he was desperate. No man could help him. Nobody else could do anything. And finally he says, I'm just going to sit all over the side. He had to set aside his pride. Do you know how humiliating it was for this man to have to go to, to Jesus and ask for help? Those of you who have males in your life, do you know how bad we hate to ask anyone for help? Some of you need to stop. I see looks and elbows. Do you know how bad we hate to ask for directions? This man had to go ask Jesus to help with his daughter. 
against everything he stood for? The Bible says in verse 23, it says that he besought him greatly. Now, I don't know about you, but i got to be honest with you. Besought is not a word in my normal vocabulary. I don't besought many things I don't think. I might besought him some stuff, but I don't, I don't besought many things. It, it just simply means he, 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 he pleading with Jesus, begging him for help. had to be desperate. The desperate approach. Jesus hears the call of the desperate. Not only the desperate, but while all this was going on, and we can only assume that it's kind of hard to tell, but it appears that after the man told Jesus about his daughter, that they kind of maybe had started on the road to Jared's house. And as they traveled, we have this little kind of parenthetical story, a little story inserted into the middle of the story of Jairus. It's like, you know how we use parentheses in English. You, you, you could almost put parentheses uh, around this particular story. And we see this woman, uh, and it says she, he went with him and the people followed him. And it says a certain woman, which had an issue of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and spent all that she had, but uh, was nothing better. Instead, it grew worse when she heard of Jesus, came in the press, touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. So in the midst of going to take care of the 12-year-old, a woman who has had an issue of blood, she's been bleeding for 12 years, and spent everything she had, tried every, like Jairus, had tried every doctor, every witch doctor, every, you know, every bit of superstition, you name it. She tried. And she was no better. In fact, it says, she was worse. Now what's really bad that you and I don't see because it's not our culture, it's not our religion, was not only was this woman suffering with this issue of blood for 12 years, which you can, with, without much imagination, imagine uh, the inconvenience, the, uh, how that would have, how she felt, um, just the loss of blood, just everything about that was bad. But what was really bad was the spiritual implications uh, of what was going on. Because of this issue of blood, you, you remember that in the Old Testament there was clean and unclean. The unclean things, the Jews, well, they, they were like the Greeks. They wouldn't touch them with a nine and a half foot pole. And they didn't, you know, unclean you. Because if you touch something unclean, then you were unclean. <coughs> this woman is considered unclean. And so because of that, she would have lost her husband. She would have lost her family. She would have lost her friends. 
probably most any source of income that she had. But most of all, she would have been banned from the synagogue. She would have been unable to attend and go in to the synagogue because she was unclean. This woman was, and then on top of that, the Bible tells us that she had suffered many things of many physicians. You know, it's bad to be sick. It's bad to be an outcast. But it, imagine uh, the, the salt and the wound of having those who are supposed to be taking care of you falling literally salt in the wounds. All they're doing, you know, and most of us here can probably identify with this. <laughs> the doctors were robbing her blind. And she's miserable. But it says... She had heard of Jesus. Jairus approached her, approached Christ. He came to her, to him in desperation. This woman came in devastation. Her life was destroyed. There was no semblance of what her life had been in the past. Everything, every doctor she knew, every folk remedy, every penny, nothing was better in, again, in fact, she was worse. I think it's safe to say she was probably desperate too, but more than anything, she was just devastated. She couldn't look people in the eye. She couldn't go around people. Some of you may remember if you go back far enough and you go back into maybe elementary school. If you go back and think, you remember uh, maybe in, if you go back to that time and you go back and, and, and think about children to me. Let's just be honest. Yeah, we talk about innocent children. You obviously had hung around Kent elementary school way. The little rascal was mean. Mean, mean and nasty. You ever seen, maybe you were the receiving end, or a couple of you in here, I won't call any names, a couple of you in here were the bullies that did it. You were the bullies who blackballed somebody in your class. They got cooties. Huh. You want to confess anything? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you ever been on the receiving end of that? Hurts that all the people that were your friends dodging you, avoiding you. Just, yeah. And you know down deep in your heart, they're just playing. It's just a game. It's just, they're just messing. This lady, it was real. She was unclean and she knew it. She, she knew what, uh, what was going on. She understood exactly what they were doing and why. She knew she was considered unclean. Hey, she thought she, thought she was unclean. She knew that if she was over there and somebody was in her shoes, she'd have done them the exact same way. She's lost it all. All her money, all her friends, all her family. She goes to Christ. And 
says, if I can just touch his garment. If I can just touch his garment. There may be somebody in this room this morning. There may be somebody online. Maybe somebody watching this recording who you feel like this woman. As, as Barbara mentioned a moment ago, a brother and sister-in-law, nobody loves us. Nobody loves me. Don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't even begin to know how many times over the years in my ministry I, I, I've sat down with people talking to them and heard that exact statement. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I can't tell you how many times one of the things I'm adjusting to is, as, as most of you know, um, having been here now coming up on 29 years and started preaching faster when I was about 20, 21, I used to be the, the, the young guy, but I'm, I'm slowly adjusting to the idea that now I'm the old guy. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm the one that uh, you know, often some of the other pastors have come to and, and talk to with issues and burdens. I'm shocked how many times I hear pastors say something very similar. I'm out here all along. I don't have a friend. I don't have anybody that understands. Nobody that cares. Nobody, nobody wants, nobody, I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have anybody that has an idea of what I'm going through. Maybe this morning, and the beautiful thing of it is, is that when she got to Jesus, it says she reached out and just touched the hem of his garment and was healed immediately. Jesus didn't turn around and say, who's pulling on my cloak. What's the problem here? He, he, he didn't tell her, go and get cleaned up and come back. In the middle of her devastation, she found Jesus. How many of you know a lot of times people are that way? When you get everything fixed, when you get better, come see. I remember I hadn't been here long as pastors. How long ago it's been and my doctor at the time, former doctor now, um, again, some of you who have been around here a while know I have had sinus mess well, literally my whole life. It's, believe it or not, it's much better now. Um, but I, I have, I, you know, I, I've dealt with it so much I tell people I could be a sinus doctor. Yeah. I know when I'm getting a sinus infection. I don't need the doctor to, you know, I just give me the medicine and hush. You know. And I called my doctor at the time, and they said, you know, some of you have been through this, and we'll, first appointment we have is in six weeks. I said, look, lady, I'll be dead in six weeks. All I want is a bottle of antibiotics. I don't even need to see her. Just call, just call me in, a, a pack of zithromycin, and I'll be on my way. 
I know how to take them. I, if I don't need the pharmacist to meet me at the end and give me no instructions, then give me my medicine. I'm like a drug addict when it comes to antibiotics and my sinuses are messed up. Give me my pills. Jesus didn't say make an appointment in six weeks. Right in the middle of her devastation. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, Jesus will meet you in your devastation. And I want you to see how this story changes. After, after that happens, the Bible tells us that we see Jairus now in dedication. Can you imagine Jairus while Jesus has stopped talking to this woman? Jairus is sitting there. Come on, come on, baby. Step it up. Let's talk walking. You know, you can only imagine. As he stands there, as he talks to her, news comes. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Your daughter's dead. Come on home. Time to quit bothering Jesus. And time to start planning a funeral. While he yet spoke, verse 35, it came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he went to Jairus' house. Only believe. I want you to back up with me at the beginning uh, of, of this story. It says, if you go back up to verse 21, it says, when, or 22, it says, One of the leaders came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, begged him earnestly, My daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her and she'll be healed so that she can get well and live. You see what this man prayed? What this man asked Jesus in verse 22? If you will come and lay your hands on her, she will get well and she will live. Now, here's the challenge. Here's the test for this man. Did you believe what you said when you said, Jesus, if you will come, my daughter will be okay. Let's test just how much you believe what you said. Do you really believe your daughter will be alright if Jesus comes? Now that the story's changed a little bit, now that the situation's a little bit different, do you still believe that Jesus is the answer. Do you still believe that Jesus can take care of your daughter? Forget it, Jess. Come on home. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We don't read that, do we? Jesus says to him, just keep believing. Come on, let's go to your house. 
If you'd have been Jairus, what would you have said? If you'd have been Jairus, would you have said, did you hear him? Did you hear what they said? While you stopped to talk to this woman who could have waited, she is sick for 12 years, not 15 more minutes. While you were talking to her, my daughter died. Just forget it. I knew this was all a bunch of junk. I knew what I'd been hearing was lies and rumors. Now what we read is, Jesus says, come on, let's go to your house. If you'll come to my house, my little girl will be okay. Do you really believe that, Jess? We come to Jesus in desperation. We come to Jesus in devastation. But in all of it, we need to come to Christ in dedication. I want you to take your Bibles and if you don't have one next week, have one. If you don't have one, pull out your phone. You have permission. Your tablet, whatever it takes. Now I want you to look at a story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, we read uh, an interesting story. The Bible tells us, uh, begins, the chapter begins, well let me back up before I jump to there. Just let me not leave you hanging. Jesus goes to Jairus' house and little girl is brought back to life. Everybody lives happily ever after. That's Okay, they will leave you hanging on what happened to the little girl in case you hadn't read it. But in Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Herod, and for those of you who don't know, Herod was a mean and nasty guy. His whole family, they just rotten to the cold. I mean, their, their family tree had, you know, worms. I mean, they were just nasty. They killed each other. They killed, you know, Herod's family was the one that killed the babies, was trying to kill Jesus as a baby. They were just nasty. Herod takes over, and uh, he arrests, starts arresting some Christians. Herod was Roman, but he pretended to be Jewish to try to win over the people. And so whatever the Jews, he, he kind of did things to pacify the Jews and make them happy to make things easier on himself. When he arrested some Christians, the Jews liked it. And he saw that it made him happy, and I'm just paraphrasing, you go on and read chapter 12. Um, but, but if you follow along, you, you can kind of read along as I'm talking. He saw that they liked it, so he arrests Peter. Throws Peter in jail. Well, he puts two guards beside of Peter, puts him in, in, in a dungeon cell, puts guards at the door. Peter is well arrested. Peter's not on house arrest. Peter is arrested. Well, while Peter is arrested, the church is gathered praying for Peter. Praying for Peter's well-being. Praying for Peter's safety. Praying for Peter's release. And while he's in jail, in verse 12, uh, it says that, uh, or excuse me, before verse 12, it says that 
God sent angels and brought Peter out of the jail cell and put him on the street, turned him loose. And Peter, for a minute, thought he was seeing things. But he finally realized, no, this is real. This is happening. And so verse 12, it says uh, that the, the, they were gathered um, at Mary, the mother of, uh, of John, whose surname was Mark, that were gathered there. And Peter knocked on the door, and a damsel, or a servant, came to the door named Rhoda. Now what happens next is kind of funny, kind of sad. Peter's out knocking at the door, trying to get into the prayer meeting. Well, Rhoda comes to the door and says she, in verse 14, it says she knew Peter's voice. You know how that works. Somebody calls you up and says, hey, you don't have to mute the voice. But she doesn't open the door. She knows his voice, but she doesn't open the gate. She goes and tells Peter, or she goes and she runs in and tells them that Peter is at the door. And look how the... Now, what were they praying for? Why were they gathered and what were they praying for? It's not a trick question, I promise you. I already told you the answer. This is an open book text. What were they praying for? For Peter to be released. What they were there for? The whole purpose of being there praying was for Peter to be released. Look what it says. And they said to her, you're crazy. You're mad. And they said, no, it's his angel. And him, you're seeing things. You're seeing his angel. But Peter continued knocking when he opened the door. They saw him and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Can anybody answer that question? They're having a prayer meeting, praying for Peter to be rescued and saved. And they're astonished when Peter is rescued and saved. Anybody see the conflict in that story? Doesn't it seem like if they were praying to the Almighty God to rescue and save Peter, that instead of being gathered at the house, they should have been standing outside of the jail cell with him a coat and some supper? Do we pray believing? Or do we pray because it's just the thing to do? Stories told, even Ireland, of a massive famine, drought that had affected the land. And they called a big prayer meeting to pray for rain. We're going to lose everything. And they had the big prayer meeting, and people come from far and wide and packed the building. 
one little teenage girl sitting on the front row with her umbrella. Somebody said, honey, why'd you bring that umbrella? It hadn't rained in six months. Are we meeting to pray for rain? Jairus believed that Jesus could take care of his daughter. And the circumstances around him, whatever else went on, didn't change his confidence and his faith in Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, what is it? Jerry Falwell used to call it a BHAG. Some of you heard me talk about this before. A BHAG. B-H-A-G. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Falwell stood on Liberty Mountain in 1970, 69-70. He said, Lord, give me this mountain. I want to build the largest Christian university in the world. That was the craziest thing anybody ever said. But he did. Not like the Falwell, God. Is there something or someone you've been praying for that you really need to change the way you're praying? You're praying, you're praying regularly. But do you really believe? Do you really believe God's going to intervene? Do you really believe God's going to save them? Do you really believe God's going to heal them? Or are you just praying because that's what you're supposed to do? You can approach God in desperation. You can approach God in devastation. But you must approach God in dedication. Only believe, Jairus. Only believe. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning as our musicians come. You've got a loved one, you've got a friend, you've got a family member. A child, grandchild, is straight off the path. And you pray. Only believe. You've got a friend, a loved one that's sick, that's hurt. You're devastated. You're desperate. What you miss is the death. God, I'm going to pray and believe. Pray and believe. I'm not telling you God to ask for it, hand it over God. But I'm telling you, He says, He is faith. He trusts. Only believe. You get there and you don't know Christ. And you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. This morning is the day of salvation. You come after you in your heart. Believe. And you feel this all praying for our lost loved ones, our friends, our family. Call them by name. Believe it. And then as the great God of the said, one thing to pray for rabbits, another thing to bait the trash. If you're going to pray for their salvation, then it falls on you to go tell them about Jesus. You can't just hope something falls out of the sky and hits you in the head. 
I'm going to pray for them to be saved, and I need to go tell them about being saved, y'all. Man falls in the ocean. I don't tell him where the life jackets are located. I throw him a life jacket, right? And this one here in devastation, desperation, God still cares. And you want to take someone's hands and come pray with me. I'm desperate. I'm devastated. Pray with me. Father, we give you an honor this morning for your word. God, we come to you today desperate. Desperate for a move of your spirit in our churches, in our lives, in our nation. God, we come to you devastated. God, we see you decline, we see the sin rampant all around us. We see families and homes being destroyed. God, we come to you this morning struggling, doing our best to believe, God, putting our faith and our confidence in you, knowing that no matter how dark it gets, even if the news comes that the little girl is dead, God, we believe you. God, touch our hearts for this one. We'll be honored for what you do. It's in Jesus' name, my prayer. Amen. As we stand together. Thank you. 